Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Rebecca Walser. She is a financial planner, CFP, also a tax attorney, and author of a new book called Wealth Unbroken, Growing Wealth Uninterrupted by Market Crashes, Taxes, and Even Death. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So let's just start with a little bit of your history and the background you've had to create your own firm and ultimately do this book. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, my undergrad's in finance, and then I worked in finance in the corporate world with PricewaterhouseCoopers and IBM, AT&T for about 12, 12-ish years. Then I went to law school at the University of Florida, Gators, became a lawyer, and then I went to NYU in New York City to get my advanced law degree in taxation, which is the best tax program in the country. So love NYU too. So that's sort of how I um, have come to be where I'm at, where I have a great big breadth of experience on the finance side, but also the legal side and the taxation side. And it's a great marriage. So tell us a little bit about the clients you serve and what kind of services you offer to your clients. Well, we like to really sort of challenge conventional wisdom. You know, um, our actual motto is challenging the wisdom of convention. I think there is so much that we do in the financial world that we do just sort of as as a matter of convention. Uh, There's a lot of people that are giving advice that no one's stopping and saying, hey, does this advice actually make sense in 2018? And I would tell you that, uh, you know, our biggest financial tool that we use in 2018 doesn't really make sense anymore. So that's really what we're looking at is we're looking, that's why we wrote the book, I wrote the book, to get the message out there that this, we need to start looking and challenging things and making sure they make sense before we just, you know, buy hook, line, and sinker into what we've been told we should be doing. And we follow that down to really uh, disaster in a lot of cases. So what we offer our clients is a challenge to look at building wealth in non-conventional ways or ways that are not what they're used to hearing. And we also want to make sure that we're building wealth from a perspective of taxation, because taxation will actually be one of the larger threats going forward. So what you were referring to is 401ks, you think that is, is not as great as people uh, kind of have it cracked up to be. What, what is your problem with people putting money into 401ks as much as they are? Well, it really goes to the tax history of America, Jordan. You know, we have now, since uh, the tax reform of 2017, December, we have now the lowest taxes that we've ever had since really Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan really introduced the lowest tax base since 1933. Uh, So you can literally follow the history of the tax code in the United States from 1933 all the way to 1987 when Reagan's reforms went into effect. You can see that Reagan's reforms had a massive change on taxation in America. And then we've sort of followed along Reagan for the last three decades. We've had the lowest taxes in the history of our country for the last 30 years. And now since the reform of last year, we are now at the lowest rates again since that time. So um, from that perspective, with taxes on sale... Um, why are we choosing not to pay the tax now and, and defer it till later? And really what you have to look at is, let's see what's coming later to really answer that question, if it makes sense or not. All right, so what is coming later as far as you're concerned? 
Well, <laughs> that I could t- uh, write. I've written a whole book on this, but to answer it in a quick nutshell, what's happening is really uh, the perfect financial storm in our country. So obviously now we have federal debt at $21.4 trillion, and that is colliding at the same time with the largest demographic shift from worker to recipient of our social welfare programs, so specifically Social Security and Medicare. So we have our largest organic-born population generation, the baby boomers, that are retiring. And, you know, the thing is, Jordan, the government has been telling us for like the last 15 years that we would not get to two payers into Social Security for every one person getting a benefit until 2030. And 2030 is a very important year because that is the year the last baby boomer retires. So the government has been telling us for literally almost two decades that we would not get to two payers in for every one person on benefits until the last boomer retired. I was sitting at my desk December 27th of last year and whoosh, newsflash, record 61 million people on Social Security for the first time in our history. And my heart just like immediately sank because I happen to know that on that day we had a total of 126 what we call FTEs, full-time equivalents. So you have 61 million workers on Social Security for the first time and 126 million FTEs, which is essentially a two-to-one ratio some 13 years ahead of schedule. But really, that's not why my heart sank. My heart sank because I know that 70% of our entire baby boomer population has not even retired yet. And they will begin to retire in 2022, and 70% of them will retire in a five to six year succession, one year after the other, after the other, after the other. And this is going to create the largest pressure cooker on our tax system in the history of our country that we've ever had. So it is going to get ugly in less than 10 years. So the Congress knows this. Do you think they're going to do something to shore up Social Security either by raising the amount that's being taxed or changing the benefits or the cost of living increase? What do you think might happen before all that hits from Congress? I say uh, all of the above. They all have no choice. In fact, Paul Ryan, who now, of course, is Speaker, back back in 2008, he was just a congressman, and he actually uh, asked the CBO to write a report analyzing the effects of, of what was happening in 2008 and the retirement of the boomers and, and the debt and all of these things. And, of course, our debt in 2008 was a lot less than what it is now. And the CBO came out with a report that basically said that they would expect that, one, benefits will be greatly and drastically cut, and, two, taxes will be greatly and drastically increased. And there were some figures in that report that said the 25% bracket could be easily around 68%, and the highest bracket could easily be around 88%. So we've already had CBO analysis done, and that was 10 years ago with 10 years old numbers in 2008. We've already seen massive uh, cuts being projected and massive tax increases being forecasted. I mean, politically, that's not very viable to increase taxes and cut benefits that much. What, what's going to give? Well, you know, what, what has to happen is we get to a point where it's not politics can't trump math. 
And and that's what's happened. What, what's happened, if you look at the step back and look at the high level, and that's what I do in the book, Jordan, is I step back and look at the high level of the history of taxation and what really happened. And so you had Ronald Reagan come into power when we really had the ability for the first time to sort of live off of debt. And people don't realize this. When Reagan took office, when he was inaugurated, we only had $980 billion of federal debt. So we didn't have a debt problem. And of course, Nixon took us off the gold standard. So now we were able to write debt and live off of debt. So what Reagan was able to do in 87 was really cut taxes drastically, but still keep the spending going through federal spending through debt. And and that's what we sort of have done now to the point of at nauseum, like our country is addicted to this free money. And if certainly the Great Recession made that come up a lot under Barack Obama, you know, because we did the quantitative easing one, two and three. So at a high, high level, not to get into the too much of the weeds, we have been living and the last 30 years of low tax, but not reduced spending. And we've been kept saying for the last three decades, we're kicking the can down the road. We're kicking the can down the road. And I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is that the can is not going to be kicked down the road because there's a cliff and the can is going over the cliff. So even though it's not politically great for anybody, which is why you don't hear anybody talking about this because there's no solution and it's awfully devastating for people to hear the reality, what you're going to have is decisions that have to be made because of math, because of math, and not because we're trying to stay elected, get elected, be elected. So there's a lot of people. I think I heard something like 40% of the people. It's Social Security is their only source of income. They're not. Uh, they haven't saved anything. What's going to happen to people like that who are kind of barely making it now if the benefits get cut, or they have to pay more tax on their Social Security? So that's a great question. And what I will tell you is that people only pay tax on their Social Security under right now as if they have other taxable income. So if you are married in this country and you have about $33,000 of other taxable income, then 85% of your Social Security is taxable. However, if Social Security is your only source of income and you have no other source of taxable income, then Social Security, in fact, is not taxable to you at all. So what we're going to have, Jordan, are the haves and the have-nots. Those that have um, are going to be paying the taxes and those that have not are going to be getting the benefits. And unfortunately, if you look at this at a really high level, you'll see that about half the country has nothing but Social Security. And for those people, this will be all that they have. It'll keep them out of poverty. And for those that have, I wouldn't count on Social Security on the have side at all. It just so you're saying be they, could change, they could change the program from an effect uh, savings program to like a welfare program. If, if the higher end people don't get it, is that what would happen? Well, it's already, if you think about it, Jordan, it's already means tested because it's already taxed based on your other taxable income every year. So right now it's 85% taxable if you have $33,000 of taxable income as a married couple. So what they're saying is, okay, we're going to give you a $25,000 benefit, but we're going to tax you on 85% of that. So we're really going to give you a net $21,000 benefit. So really what did they just do? They just means tested you and said, you make too much money to get $25,000. You're only going to get $21,000. So we're already means testing Social Security now. It's just that it's going to have to be a lot more aggressive because of where we're headed financially. So what are the implications for 401ks? If you see such tremendous trouble coming in Social Security, what does that mean for how people should be saving in their 401ks so they're self-sufficient and not dependent on Social Security? 
I totally hear you. And that's really, in fact, the problem that the conventional wisdom tells us the 401k is what to use when taxes are the lowest they've been since 1933. And instead of paying the tax now, we're going to defer it to some future disaster tax year. But what we do want to do is be responsible and always get the match. So what I've been finding is that a lot of clients now can actually make a contribution into their Roth and their company will still make a traditional contribution into the traditional 401k for them on their behalf. So we want to do what we need to do to get the match. Beyond the match, though, the 401k is just a losing proposition in my professional tax opinion in 2018 and beyond. And the reason for that is when people take money out in future years, they're going to get taxed at a much higher level. They they go into it now assuming they're going to be taxed at a lower level because they won't be having an income anymore. But you're saying the problem with 401ks is they're going to be taxed at a higher level than they're expecting. Is that right? That's right. I mean, if you look at, I've got some of the wealthiest clients that make a ton of money and their effective rate is way less than 40% because they are on marginal brackets, just like everybody else. So people might say, well, gosh, I'm in the 24% marginal bracket. How could I possibly be in that high of a bracket when I retire? Well, that demands and depends on the fact that the brackets stay the same. That's not going to be a mathematical possibility. So you could be making less and paying more in retirement. And that is what you should be planning on and counting on because that is where the math is headed for the country. It's just that simple. We're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answers Show. My guest this hour is Rebecca Walser. Uh, She is a CFP, a tax attorney. Uh, Her firm is called Walser Wealth, and you can see her website at walserwealth.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We've all been there. Struggling to keep up with credit card payments? Searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt? Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments, and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt, and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, Visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. 
If you're ready to take your business to the next level, then be sure to tune in to Ask the Coach with host Oliver Baisner. So your team and organization need to work more effectively, and it's taking its toll on you as a leader. Is your family and work-life balance out of whack? Now, get the answers you need from a panel of experts. No matter the challenge, you'll find the answers here. Ask the Coach airs live every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Rebecca Walser. She is a certified financial planner and tax attorney based in Tampa, Florida. Uh, You can find out more about her at her website, which is walserwealth.com. Welcome back to the show, Rebecca. Thank you. So we talked about, you know, there are two perfect storms brewing. The first one we talked about was kind of this retirement situation where you have all these people retiring and taxes are going to have to go up and benefits are going to go down. What is the second perfect storm that's brewing? The second perfect storm is is really something that we're used to and we're told conventionally that it's normal and buy and hold. And that's really market volatility, Jordan. And it's the really, what I call in my book, the, the new normal. Uh, the new normal of extreme market volatilities. In other words, extreme highs followed by extreme lows. And we've seen this pattern now really emerge since the globalization of commerce and e-commerce specifically. So now we're talking about the rise of the dot-com world, the internet and cell phone technology in the 90s with the you know 417% run-up we had over the bull market of the 90s, which was 417% total growth in the market, followed by three years of in-a-row declines of the S&P, which was basically a total of 49% uh, decline complete. And then we found the rise again of the housing market, which really brought us up to some new highs, followed then by the Great Recession promptly, the fast and furious, I call it, which was a peak to trough, 57% decline in the S&P 500, now followed by the longest bull market officially in the history of our country up some 318% since uh, the, the low of the Great Recession. And so what is that to be followed by is the next major threat to your ability to keep and create create and keep your wealth. What do you think might set off uh, the downswing? Because we've been in an upswing for so long. What might set off the downswing? So there's so, so many things. But if we keep this at a just a monetary issue, uh, we'll just talk about monetary policy. You know, the Federal Reserve, even though uh, President Trump doesn't want them to, the Federal Reserve has to pursue a normalization policy. Because the fact is, if we were to have a recession tomorrow, the Fed doesn't have any bullets in their chamber. There's nothing they can do. Our rates are so low, there's no stimulus to cut the rates from where they currently are. They've got to get rates up a little bit so that they actually have some leeway way to work when we have the next recession. So they have to set us on a normalization. They also have to deleverage their balance sheet somewhat from the quantitative easing phases that we had of this, you know, since the Great Recession. And that's a lot of money. The Fed's, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet is five times what it was when the Great Recession happened. So 
we've got to have them sell off some of their bond positions and they've got to normalize rates and that's going to be painful. And it's going to, if you wonder where all of this money has come from and these equities, how have we gone up 318%? How is this possible? Where does this money come from? It's come from cheap, cheap money from the Federal Reserve pouring money into the economy, keeping the recession at bay. And we just have to pay the piper. We have to pay the bill. And we will have a correction. And I believe it's going to be a substantial correction. What you hear from conventional advisors on that, Jordan, is just buy and hold. Buy and hold, ride through it, the money, you'll you'll get your money back, it'll come back. What they don't tell you is if you're in retirement and you can't touch your money, like, for example, the Great Recession, you were at one level, you went down 57% to the lower level. If you wanted to retain or get back to the level you were at, you could not touch your money in the market for four and a half years because if you took money out, you'd be locking in losses for that first four and a half year period. So it's not that I'm anti-market because I'm, believe me, I'm so pro-market. The market is a huge wealth creator, but we have to be understanding what the market can do to us once we hit retirement. When we're at near in retirement, our, our you know investment horizon has changed and therefore our risk threshold has definitely changed. Very good. So let's talk about some specific strategies that you recommend that people do to kind of counteract these two perfect storms. Uh, one of them is in the insurance realm uh, called Index Universal Life. Is that something you think is a good idea and, and why do you like that? I mean, absolutely. I, I love a lot of different kinds of insurance-based products, specifically for what we just talked about, the risk of the market, the new highs followed by the new lows. And once you're in retirement, you don't have that investment horizon to make up for these losses anymore. It's great to look at the transfer of risk. Anytime we're using any kind of insurance-based product, we are transferring risk off of our shoulders, off of the shoulders of our portfolio onto a third party. So if we have an insurer that comes along and specifically with IUL, Index Universal Life, we are talking about an insurer that comes along and says, hey, listen, I'll buy options on the S&P 500 for you on your behalf, and we'll credit you up to double-digit growth every single year that the S&P 500 has double-digit growth. But when the S&P crashes, you're going to have no loss. When we can get a life-based product, which is an excellent product from a tax perspective, with no risk of loss and double-digit market-based growth, it is an excellent alternative for somebody who's risk-adverse because they're in retirement, yet they still want really great growth, and they're also looking for a life product. What are some of the companies that you like offering IULs? So there's a variety of them, and it really depends on what the person's look, looking for specifically, you know, Jordan. So really, probably it's not great to get into specifics about which company, because someone's going to hear me say a company, and they're going to go out and say, I want to work, work with that company, and maybe it's not for them in their particular case. But I, I, in general, I like mutual companies that have been in business since the early 1900s that have a really high, stable financial rating that are really tightly controlled on costs. And that is what really guides my direction of to what specific kind of company we can use. The other thing is that I get into technical weeds about insurance, but the insurance way that policies are designed are very important. So I only like really using non-direct recognition policies. Um, so really, if you have a mutual company that's been in business since the 1900s, it's highly financially rated, that's really tight on costs and it gives you non-direct recognition, you're in a winner. So that's IULs. How about traditional whole life policies or variable life? Uh, do, they, do you like IULs better than those or what's the trade-off there? 
I don't use variable life at all unless it's index variable life inside. It basically means you can have a loss inside the life. And I'm not using any kind of insurance based product unless I'm getting rid of all risk of loss. So any kind of variable annuity, variable insurance based product we are not using. We don't recommend. We just full stop don't use them because they, they introduce the risk of loss of the market into an insurance based product. And we only use an insurance based product to get rid of the risk of loss. So that's why we don't use those. Um, whole life is a great tool if you have a long term horizon. In fact, whole life is probably absolutely unbeatable if you have a long-term horizon. So for people that are starting off with grandchildren and they want to know, hey, Rebecca, how do I say for my grandchild, you know, a 529, which is a target-specific fund. In other words, I've got a grandchild who's five and they're going to go to college at 18 and 13 years. I'm not a big, huge fan of the 529 because I've seen people that have built all of their college funding in the 529 only to see the market crash and their, their grandchild has to go to school the very next year. So now they've got to pull money out of this fund to help their grandchild go to school. They've lost all that money now. They have no hope of recovery. Any kind of target dated fund where an event is happening that we have to have this money available for, the market is suspect in that kind of a uh, type of event because we don't know what the market's going to do the year before you have your actual um, you know, kid going to college or your grandchild going to college. So uh, I like whole life. For a young baby, a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old that wants to do some sort of college funding, a grandchild that wants to leave a legacy, um, great tool, whole life to use for actual uh, younger children. And how about annuities? That's another kind of insurance-based product. Uh, Do you like those as a way of building up money for retirement? So, again, really tricky area because annuities are so nuanced. But what I will tell you is that there are three general annuities. One is a variable annuity, which we whole stop do not use just because they're variable. So those are out. The second one that we use, but we use it more sparingly, are the income annuities. These are annuities that will basically you give them a certain amount of your money and they will pay you a certain amount of income for the rest of your life. Those are really good and work well for people that maybe haven't built up enough, Jordan, who really need to make sure that they are not going to run out of money the rest of their life and the insurance company can take the risk of, okay, if you were to use your money yourself, you probably would run out. But because you're transferring the money to us, we'll pay you for as long as you live. That's the second kind. We use it when we have to, but it's not our favorite. The best one that we like are the growth cash-based annuities, FIAs, fixed index annuities, where you're getting no risk of loss. You completely transfer all risk of loss to the insurance carrier, but you can still participate in really great market-based growth. And most most of these that we like are like the ones that are 50% of the S&P 500. They'll do 50% of the uncapped S&P 500 with no risk of loss, no caps, and no expenses. So they're really cost-effective products that still give you great growth and uh, yet not going to cost you a lot of money. So the money inside there is growing tax-deferred, but when you take it out, it's taxable. Is that correct? It depends. If we're using IRA money, then of course, everything is going to be taxable and it would be taxed when we take it out. That's correct. If we're using Roth, if we have a Roth-based annuity, now everything is tax-free and that's the golden ticket to have a no-risk account with no risk of loss, market-based growth. It's all tax-free inside of a Roth. Now we've solved two problems in one particular stone. So that's that's phenomenal. And if, of course, if it's uh, like a brokerage account, like you have money at you know, one of the wirehouses and you transfer it into annuity, which is after tax brokerage money, then what happens is the growth is taxable as interest income and the principal is return as return of principal, no tax. For Roth IRAs, there are income limitations though, right? You can't open a new Roth unless your income is under whatever it is, 130000 or so. So it's not for everybody. 
No, it actually is for everybody, Jordan, and I'm glad you said this. This is the most common misconception around tax planning that we have in America. So I could be Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, and if I have traditional IRA money, 401k, IRA, SEP, whatever my company had a plan and I contributed to it, because you know there's no income limits to con- contribution on the pre-tax side. If I have a traditional account of a 401k or an IRA, I absolutely, under the current tax law, can convert to a Roth no matter how much I currently earn. It has nothing to do with what I'm earning. So everybody thinks that their income phased out, but in fact, you can do a Roth conversion no matter how much you make. So what you convert into it would be a one-time taxable event. Is that right? That is correct. So you just have to allow for those taxes. But then once it's in there, it's growing tax-free forever, which is the advantage of the Roth. Absolutely. That's the beauty. Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Rebecca Walser. She is a certified financial planner, tax attorney uh, based in Tampa, Florida. She's also the author of a book called Wealth Unbroken, Growing Wealth Uninterrupted by Market Crashes, Taxes, and Even Death. You can find out more at her website, walserwealth.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Rebecca Walser. Uh, She is a certified financial planner, tax attorney in Tampa, Florida. Uh, Her website is walserwealth.com. Welcome back to the show, Rebecca. Thank you. Uh, A very hot topic these days is cryptocurrencies. Uh, What do you think of those as a way to put some money aside? And is that got a a good uh, potential? How's that going to impact the economy? You know, the thing that people um, are just sort of not getting about cryptocurrency, and and I think actually as an investment, it probably makes a lot lot of sense. Because the thing is, Jordan, and again, when I say that, I'm not trying to convince anybody to put a massive amount of their portfolio into this. But this is the future. Blockchain is the future. Blockchain is going to revolutionize the way we do everything, everywhere, at all times. And that's just the fact. And it might take us a decade, maybe 15, maybe seven years. You know, we're not sure how fast the technology is going to roll out and really make an impact. But it's going to change everything. And it's going to be amazing. So the thing about cryptocurrency that concerns me at a high level is what does it mean to the reserve currency status of the U.S. dollar? For let's just take something like uh, Bitcoin. It's not scalable to the size it needs to be. But if it were, because, you know, it's fixed quantity, that's the whole value that it's getting intrinsically is that it's a fixed quantity. And once all the coins are released, that's the end of all of all time. But if it were scalable, what we have to start looking at is all of these countries around the world that are starting to legalize cryptocurrency. For example, in Japan, you can literally pay with the yen, the dollar, or a Bitcoin. And once the dollar is no longer necessary because the rise of cryptocurrencies is so prevalent everywhere, why does anyone need to buy the dollar to trade in the dollar? Because you can now just use some kind of cryptocurrency. And that's scary for us as Americans because we have really enjoyed the largesse of life that we have because of our status as the world reserve currency, because people buy our dollars. People stop buying our dollars, we have a whole new world immediately. What what are the implications if the U.S. reserve currency is not the world reserve currency anymore? And it's not only cryptocurrencies, but maybe euro or yen or some combination of basket of other currencies. What would be the implication for America for that? So if you just take it high, high levels this year, okay? So we are forecasted to spend about $1.1 trillion this fiscal year, and we are taking in tax revenue about $550 billion. So we are spending uh, our, tr- our trillion-dollar deficit that we have on an annual basis. How are we? That's real dollars. Like people just think that that's just printed money that is just going to sit in some, you know, Federal Reserve warehouse somewhere. This is true money that's getting printed and being bought and sold in the, in the whole of the world, right? So if we are spending... $1 trillion more than we're taking in, and we no longer have that ability to spend that because nobody's buying our dollars, then we have a trillion dollars of spending that we're doing right now that has to stop and stop immediately. But it's not going to. I mean, clearly, we're, we're spending more and we're taking in less tax revenue because of the tax bill. So that's nice to say, but it's not going to happen. So what happens if the debt, which is at 21 and $22 trillion, keeps going up to 26 trillion, 30 trillion. I mean, what, what are the implications of that for Americans? 
Well, there's there's a couple of things that happen. First of all, there's a no-go number, and I call the no-go number. It's roughly uh, $30 trillion of federal debt. The no-go number is where the servicing on the debt is so much that you simply cannot afford to run a country. So at $30 trillion and a 3 to 4% repayment rate, our servicing, our interest payments on a $30 trillion debt will cost us more than we spend right now annually on Medicare and the military combined at 30 trillion. So 30 trillion is really um, sort of a make it or break it number for the United States of America. That's number one. Number two, just what we were just talking about with cryptocurrency, Jordan, what I'm saying is if there gets to be a basket alternative, you talk about that, which we know IMF has been working on that for years. If we get a basket of currency alternative, like uh, SDR, special drawing rights, if we get a crypto that rises up and has the uh, capacity to take on and, and it just replaces the ability to do international transactions outside of the dollar, then people aren't going to be buying our dollar. And the only reason that we can write a, mil- a trillion dollars of debt a year is because people are buying a trillion dollars of our dollars a year. But if they stop buying them because they don't need them, then it's not a matter of us printing the money. It's a matter of nobody buying our money, and that will immediately stop our spending. It's not about what we can or can't do. It's about what everybody else is doing in relation to our dollar. Sounds pretty scary, actually, I must say. So another point I want to talk about is diversification. Now, most people talk about asset diversification, but you talk about tax diversification. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, for the last 30 years, we haven't really had to worry about taxes. I mean, since Reagan's been in office and the tax rates have been as low as they've been for the last three decades, everyone has not really given a a thought to taxes. In fact, with Reagan's tax reform, that is where the 401k came into power and really became the forefront of don't pay the tax now, pay the tax later. When you're retired, you'll make less money, you'll pay less money in tax. So basically everyone, for the most part, if you look at high, high level studies in America, most people have built traditional conventional people have built their retirement in traditional conventional vehicles like the 401k, like an IRA, like a SEP, something like that. And so what they go into with their financial advisor is they say, okay, how much money will I be able to get out for the rest of my life safely? And they do some market-based Monte Carlo projections, give them some analysis and say, okay, you can take out this much money per year. And there's all kinds of asset classification that they figure out they need to put them in. So sort of diversify away risk, but they don't talk to them about what are the tax implications of this money for the rest of your life. If all that you've built is in pre-tax 401 or IRA, then every dollar that's coming out is coming out at the highest tax rate we have, which is our ordinary income personal tax rate. So what we have to start looking at is, are there moves, are there opportunities that we can take right now, Jordan, while taxes are still on sale, before the rubber meets the road and these perfect storms collide and hit each other and the tax rates then explode, are there moves we can make now to change the tax character of the assets that we've built so that we can have tax-free income and tax-free distributions in retirement outside and opposed to straight-up ordinary income from our IRAs and our 401ks? And that's some of what we were talking about before is like conversion to Roths and index universal life and annuities. Those are some of the strategies that come out of that. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. Are there some others that we did not uh, discuss as well? 
You know, the biggest one that is the most threatened right now, which I'm really concerned about, I mean, it's got me shaking in my boots because I do this every single day of my practice, is the ability to utilize the Roth. First of all, people don't really know they can because they, they believe that they make too much and so they don't even think they can. But I don't know if you're aware, but uh, Senator Orrin Hatch, who's the ranking finance uh, senator on the Republican side, uh, last December when the tax reform was going through, he actually put forth the Hatch Amendment. And the Hatch Amendment was the proposal to eliminate the ability to do any kind of Roth conversions from traditional retirement funds. It didn't get through, but it sent everybody in the world that practices tax diversification and tax freedom, like me, shockwaves, because we know that this means it's coming. We don't know how much time we have left with the ability to convert to Roth. And anytime the government is trying to take away the ability to put something into a tax-free bucket, it must mean it's pretty good. You know what I mean? There must be a reason why they don't want people to do this. So the Roth is what we're worried about, and the ability to to leverage the Roth for how much longer is suspect. Because once it's in the Roth, it's growing tax-free, and the government can't get their hands on it. They don't want to have those assets growing where they can't get any tax revenue out of it. That's what you're saying. That's it. Bingo. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You you also talk about setting up a fiscal foundation uh, with what you call the non-negotiable number in retirement. What do you mean by that? So, like we were talking about earlier, the one of the bigger threats, and we, and we can talk about tax all day, because, you know, for me, tax is natural, and it's something I think about all the time. A lot of people don't give out any thought at all when they're doing any kind of retirement planning. But what we do want to follow is more balanced house, fiscal house approach. So, what, what we find is that most advisors, Jordan, they're telling their clients, oh, if we can just diversify between asset classes, even if the next correction comes, if we have a downgrade in equities, you'll be fine. And the truth is, it's not really true. If you look at the history of all of the massive market corrections since going back since the 20s, really, in Great Depression and on, what you see is that all market classes universally, with some exceptions, go down. They're all impacted. They're all hampered. And so what we say is, listen, we always want to have a position in the roof, which is the market. We always want to have stock, bonds, some kind of portfolio in the market. But what we need to understand is when we're at near in retirement, we need to extract from the market the amount that we're not willing to settle even for one penny loss on, not even one penny. That is what we label as our non-negotiable number. So for example, if I have a portfolio of say $500,000 and I am retiring, that's my money to last me for the next 30 years. Maybe I do not want any more than $300,000 exposed to risk of loss and $200,000 is my non-negotiable. I'm going to move that down where I can still get growth and market-based growth on it, but I'm not going to have any further risk of loss. And so that is what we would call a foundational number. And the market would be our roof. So we have sort of a house methodology that we follow with a foundation, with walls, and with a roof. The roof being the market, the roof always being necessary, but the roof not being the whole enchilada. If you're following a roof-based strategy only, you're missing the boat. So for foundational parts, the money that you can't, you don't want to be at risk, with interest rates as low as they are today, what kind of vehicles can you use to get decent yields without taking much market risk. Okay, so there's some great ones in the foundation. There's whole life insurance, like we've talked about. There are some CDs at a bank, which are low and great, and granted, low interest rate, but also government protected, insured. And that's the foundation. The foundation is really no risk of loss and also low returns. But then we have the walls, and the walls are a step up where we're still getting no risk of loss, but we're now we're getting market based growth. Market based growth in life insurance would come in the form of an IUL, indexed universal life, because we're getting options on the SP 500. Market based growth on the annuity 
annuity side would be a growth annuity where we're getting options on the S&P 500 and yet we're not getting the full S&P uncapped. We're getting maybe half of it, but we're also getting no risk of loss. And if you just look back over the last 20 years, Gordon, the last two decades, when you eliminate the risk of loss from the S&P 500 and you participate at 50%, you actually have outperformed the S&P 500 over the last two decades. So you don't always have to have the high, high growth if you eliminate the low, low loss. That's because that's, you're, you don't have the dips that you have to that's recover right. from. That's yeah. exactly right. Yep. So it, you're saying it's a, a trade-off. It's better to get half the growth on the upside to avoid the, the downside than to have the full up and the full down. That's right. And people don't believe that. They say, oh, there's no way. But the truth is, if you look at the math, you will see over the last two decades, it has outperformed since 1998, the 50% with no risk of loss compared to the straight up S&P with ups and downs has outperformed the S&P itself for the last two decades. And with your view that volatility is going to continue, that, that would continue to remain true in the future, you're saying? Yes, and keep in mind, this is anybody, any advisor who tells you this is where all your money should go, you should run, run away. Any any advisor should be following a diversified approach, money in the market, money in strategies that are not market-based uh, as far as risk, but still give you market-based returns, and money in the foundation, your liquid money, your money in your CD, your money that's your emergency fund. You know, those. That's a, that is a fully diversified person, and that once you add in the tax characterization of those things and you're considering tax character, you've really addressed the two biggest threats to your wealth, which is market volatility and taxes. And once you've done that, you've really achieved the whole enchilada. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Rebecca Walser. She's a CFP, tax attorney based in Tampa, Florida. Uh, she's written, written a book called Wealth Unbroken, and you can find out more about her at her website, walserwealth.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. If you're like me, the list of books you want to read is never-ending. You simply don't have time to read them all. Blinkist has solved this problem. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling non-fiction books and distills them so you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes all on your phone. I like to listen to Blinkist while I commute to my office. The Blinkist library is massive, from timeless classics like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, to current bestsellers like Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House. My personal recommendation is to check out the four-hour work week. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. 
Go to Blinkist.com slash Money Answers to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Money Answers to start your free seven-day trial. You can cancel anytime. Blinkist.com slash Money Answers. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Rebecca Walser. She is a CFP tax attorney uh, in Tampa, Florida. Uh, you can find out more about her at her web- website, walserwealth.com. Welcome back to the show, Rebecca. Thank you, Jordan. Glad to be here. One of the things you talk about is how instant gratification is killing your retirement. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, what I've noticed, and I talk, you know, I've done a tax tour all across the country with the book tour this year, and uh, two things come up consistently. Um, When I talk about the ability to, for example, Roth conversions, people say, but does that mean I have to pay the tax? You know, and what we've gotten so used to, you know, tax aversion that even if it's in our best interest, we won't even consider it because, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to pay the tax. What, what people have to understand is you have to pay the tax on this money. There is no law or no circumstance under any kind unless you donate all of your money to charity, in which case then you can get out of the tax bill. But otherwise, the tax man will be paid. So, so let me just give you a quick example. If I'm talking to somebody about instead of now their employer is offering them a Roth 401k and if they make contributions to the Roth 401k, their employer will still match them. They will match their contributions up to their total limit and they will put their match into the traditional. So I tell you know a client, definitely do the Roth because you won't be making a tax mistake and you're still getting the match. The match is going to the traditional. And then they say to me, but does that mean I have to pay the tax now? So... We have become conditioned since the 401k came into prominence in 1981. We've become conditioned that if we are getting a tax break on our retirement savings, that somehow it's not worth doing. Like we all have to understand that we are responsible for our lifestyle and whether we are poor or barely making it or we're having a, you know, a lifestyle that we can continuously enjoy for the rest of our life. It's up to us. It's not up to the government. The government's not going to be able to bail us out and take care of everybody. It's not going to happen. So we shouldn't be saying I shouldn't be replaying for my retirement my retirement, unless the government's giving me some kind of tax break. That's ridiculous. And that's what we've done is we've tied this tax deduction availability to the ability for us to save for retirement. And if we're not getting it, we're somehow thinking that we're getting cheated and we're not getting cheated at all. What's going to get, we're going to be cheated in the future when we're paying way more than we could have paid now. Indeed. Very good. Uh, what role does real estate play as an investment in portfolios that you put together? So I love real estate. Real estate is over the history of time one of the best inflation hedges and has been, you know, reliably non-correlated to the market. And obviously, you know, we have to worry about the market and its volatility. So real estate is a great place to to put money. So I like real estate for its cash flow. You know, it's just consistent cash flow year over year over year. Now I will tell you, especially after the hurricanes, you know, people get forget that it's real estate, it's not a stock, right? There, there's going to be some issues that come along with real estate. But 
But if you're okay and understandable with the fact that it is real estate, then I think real estate is a great opportunity, right, Jordan, to really get positive cash flow and sustainable cash flow while the underlying asset is really also growing in market value, which is really what is which is which is what is unheard of, right? Is you're getting two for one, you're getting cash flow annually off of this asset, but the underlying asset itself is also still appreciating over time. So, what vehicles would you use to play real estate, uh, real estate investment trusts, or how would you play it? No, I'm not a I'm not a big REIT fan necessarily. I like funds, like you and I were talking. There's there's funds that you can invest in that have an underlying. You're not necessarily in a trust that owns specific real estate, but maybe you're in a fund that is doing some kind of financing tied to real estate, either on the real rental, residential rental or the or the commercial real estate side. Um, so I'm, I'm more into the financing side of it. The owning of the actual property um, does come along with actual property management headaches. So I think that's fine too, but we would like to see sort of a diversification and I don't want to go so much into a trust where it's more illiquid than we would probably like. So you have in your book various things that you think are not good ideas. Let's just briefly go through some of those. Uh, You talk about Uniform Gifts to Minors Act, UGMA accounts. What do you not like about those? Uh, they're non-reversible. So if something happens, God forbid, um, you know, and this child has become, you know, a problem, and the last thing you want to do is give them, you know, $50,000 or $100,000 at age 21, too bad, so sad. It's a non-revocable gift. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, and there's not really a lot of tax benefits. There's a lot more uh, vehicles that we could get better tax benefits than the, the, uh, the UGMA. Another one you don't like is stretch IRAs. Maybe describe what that is and what you don't like about it. The stretch IRA is just a way for you to continuously take out the absolute bare legal minimum that you have to take out to pay the tax, allowing the corpus or the principal to grow as much as possible and still grow tax deferred. Remember, I'm always going to use the word tax deferred because it's never going to be tax free. And so that you can pass it down to the next generation and they can do the same thing and then on and on and on. That's the whole concept of stretch IRA. What we have to start realizing is the stretch IRA is probably the worst tax vehicle that will ever exist in the history of the world. Why? Because we're stretching it to some future tax but you know, rate and table. And what we can know is that the future tax tables are going to be ugly based on the current tax tables, based on what's happening in our country, the demographic shift, the federal debt, et cetera, et cetera. So the stretch IRA just basically pushes your tax bill way, way into the future and way, way into the future, the tax bills look ugly. You also don't like 100% market-based portfolios. What's wrong with those? Well, that's exactly what we've been talking about in the fiscal house design. That's the roof. And that's where when the storm comes, when the market volatility comes, the market is where it's going to absorb. It's going to absorb the storm at the market. So the market is going to have another correction. Listen, we are in the longest bull market now as of August 22nd in the history of our country. The longest. It's not the largest yet, but it is the longest. And so what you have to ask yourself is how much longer is this going to happen? Or are we going to get an equity pullback? Are we going to get an equity correction? The answer is absolutely we are. Because you have to look at why equities are so high right now. And outside and apart from Amazon and the FANG stocks, you know, we we aren't and haven't experienced outside of technology a true huge economic recovery except for the last couple of years. So what was really happening was monetary policy. We call it the lowest interest 
interest rates for the longest period of time and quantitative easing. Those two things combined basically gave us this huge market run up and it is going to correct. And a lot of people, myself included, a lot of prognosticators believe it's going to be a very ugly correction. If you have 100% based in the market and the market corrects 50 plus percent, you've lost 50 plus percent. And now, even though you can get it back, it's going to take time and you're going to be trapped until it comes back. So that's why never be 100% in the market. In about two minutes we have left, kind of wrap up what difference it will make for people to take the advice we've talked about compared to conventional thinking. So conventional thinking, your CPA is going to tell you you should make an IRA contribution, you should max out your 401k, and I would tell you look at the Roth instead, look at the Roth in any which way you can, look at doing Roth conversions. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, Jordan, then all that has happened is you've paid the tax when the taxes are on sale and they're lower, and you've paid the tax on the seed instead of the harvest. You pay the tax on your little bit of money now, you get it into the Roth, you get it into life, versus letting it grow and grow and grow and grow, and paying the tax later on the bigger pot at whatever tax rate is the government's at that time. So even if I'm wrong, You haven't hurt yourself. You've just paid your tax sooner and on less than what you will pay if you go the route everyone else will go and pay it later, pay as you go, take the government plan and, you know, go the rest of your life with the government plan. So tax diversify, asset pull down, get your non-negotiable number outside of the risk of the market and you'll be happy. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Rebecca Walser. She is a certified financial planner, tax attorney based in Tampa, Florida. Uh, You can find out more about her at her website, which is walserwealth.com. She also has a book called Wealth Unbroken, Growing uh, Wealth Uninterrupted by Market Crashes, Taxes, and Even Death. You've been a great guest. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Rebecca. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.